0: Y'all get up for kid. I think the I think the only way I'm gonna refer to like opening the Bible is pop that thing out from now on. That was Legends, pop that sucker out. Sorry, pop that. Thank you. That's good. pop that <laughs> Yo, my name's is uh, Rudy Hartman. If we haven't had a chance to meet yet, um, I get to be on staff here with Salt Company. I'm sitting tonight because, shocker, I'm still not feeling great. So grateful. Some some of you have known, uh, been on that journey with me for a little bit. I have not been well for the last couple of months. So if you permit me to sit, I'm going to to do that tonight. um we are starting a new series, Singleness and Dating, on Singleness and Dating. We are very clever at Salt Company. Um, uh, an additional piece too though, next, uh, next Thursday after Salt Company, if you wanna hang around, uh, we're going to be doing a late night on uh, following our dating message on the gospel and sexual brokenness. We really tried to brainstorm uh, another name for that, or brain shop, brainstorm another workshop and brainstorm. That was what that was. We really tried to to brainstorm a different name for that, but really it just it just hits it right there. We're going to talk about the gospel and sexual brokenness after Salt Company. You're welcome to stick around for that if you'd you'd like. Um, if you didn't pop that sucker open, you're going to want to First Corinthians chapter seven. Uh, while you're on your way there. I just want to suss out the room real quick. Uh, How many of you started listening to Christmas music after Thanksgiving? How many of you were listening to Christmas music before Thanksgiving? Just wanted to make sure that we're not in a room full of crazy people, okay? Like, you can listen to Christmas music whenever you want. I, um... As I love, I love, I lost it. I love Christmas. I, re, I really, really do. Um, for a, a gang of reasons. One, I love leveraging like cultural moments to be able to share the gospel. It's awesome. Like everybody's talking about Christmas right now, which means that everybody, like there's an opportunity to talk about Jesus. Um, when I was overseas, uh, I actually had the opportunity to be in China and Malaysia. And um, when I was over there, it was so fun. I would ask people like, hey, have you ever heard about Jesus? And they'd say, well, you we know what Christmas is. And I was like cool we'll start there right like like it's a great opportunity to be able to leverage a cultural moment to share the good news of what Jesus Christ has done through his birth life death and resurrection so that all who put their trust in him can be saved by him I also shamelessly just like the presence part um so so I um (coughs) I love getting to like I love the look on people's face when you give them the gift that they really wanted. Do you ever seen that look where you're like, I did it, I understood the assignment, I nailed it, I got it right. And, and I mean, it's pretty nice too when you like get that thing that you kind of been like wanting for a good period of time. There's always, I wonder if you have ever, ever had that moment where you, you, you get a gift and you're like, oh no, I didn't want that at all. And you got to kind of like, it's like a family member. And so you kind of be like, oh my gosh it's an avocado. (laughs) Thanks. Like, it's like, I once got the same, like, I don't know what was happening, but like, like two different family members on different sides of the family who didn't talk, got me like the same, like web design software. And I was like, who do you, what do you think? What am, what, like gives like, say something much, right? Like my parents, I mean, Santa, (laughs) my parents, uh, used to always put, I mean, everyone was like a kid would put in like, like every, every year, it's like a toothbrush and some toothpaste and some dental floss in the stocking, and then like, and then like it's like a bar of deodorant, and then it's like Irish Spring like body wash, well, and then it's like cologne, and I'm like, Are you trying to tell me something? Like, seriously, like just like tell like speak the truth, shame the devil. If I smell, let me know. Like, it's just it's just rough. Um, but there there was this one year, there's this one year where my grandmother, I love her, um, so much, she she handed me. I'll never forget it. We were in her her dining room on Christmas Day in North Carolina and she hands me a manila folder for Christmas. And it's like it's like a tax document, like dry manila folder. Where you're just like this thing is like what? I'm 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 6 at the time. Like you have to understand that I have no categorization for this whatsoever. I am like why who what 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 is this? It is Christmas. This is not wrapped. It is not like it, it was just a manila folder. And she hands it to me and she says, "Well, open it." And I open open it up and inside of the middle folder is you guessed it a certificate for one stock of Nintendo <sighs> What like what is that Okay I'm 6 years old here's why that's terrible two reasons one my parents, I love them again I keep prefacing that before I say something terrible i I love them but but they're like they, like they really prioritized i'll say like this really prioritized us being outside as kids um to the point at which we didn 't have cable, and uh we weren't actually we didn 't have like console systems that plugged into the TV to play video games, right? You feel me? So, so here's the irony of me owning a stock of Nintendo. I own a part of a company whose products I cannot partake in. Okay. So at six years old, I understand. I looked at them and I was like, you hypocrites. I'm kidding. I was six, right? It was like, right after that, I'm like going to go check my stock portfolio. I'm six. Like it doesn't make any sense. Um, and so, so I'm, 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 I'm looking at it and I'm like, okay, like, thank you. Like no one told me what it was. I don't know if you were checking your stock portfolio at six years old, like checking for dividends and W-dips and like, oh, I'm going to hodl until I, no, like that's ridiculous, right? Diamond hands at six years old doesn't make any sense. I, I was, I, I, there, there's just something about gifts. It's so interesting that what's given the most vision is often what we ascribe the most value to. And nobody, nobody explained Nintendo stock or stocks at all to me. So I saw that sheet of paper and I was like, thanks for this sheet of paper, that doesn't mean anything to me, but nobody told me until years later that that sheet of paper would potentially be worth more than any other gift I got that year or for a very, very long time. Nobody gave me a vision for the gift that I had, so I didn't ascribe value to that gift, which messed with the way that I viewed it. And I think the same thing actually happens with singleness. You got to understand in the scripture a little bit earlier in first Corinthians chapter seven, singleness is described by Paul as a gift from God. I just want to let that sit here for a second, right? And before you, look at me and you're like, well, Rudy, I see the ring on your finger. Why are you gonna talk to me about it?" Pro- like, I'm like, i gonna let you know, like, I was single until I was 26 years old. That's when I got married to, to my wife, Molly, who led us in worship tonight. And like, I, I was single through that entire time. Um, but, but before we, we get too, too far into that, let me just lay out this term. When I'm talking about singleness, I'm talking about it in light of the way that scripture lays it out. In the scripture, there are two relational statuses, married and unmarried. Now, we're talking about uh, singleness and dating because those are categories that fall under the unmarried uh, realm, all the way up to uh, betrothed, which we saw in the text, which is, is, is engaged, right? Like, it's, it's this picture here talking about the statuses of those who are unmarried. So if you're in this room and you are single or you're dating, you need to understand that when the scripture is talking about the unmarried, they're talking about, about you, So the status of being unmarried, singleness, is defined in Scripture as a gift, as a gift from God. In fact, note takers, this is for you. My main idea tonight is this, that my devotion while single declares the greater gift of God. My devotion while single declares the greater gift of God. We're going to color that in as we get there. Some of you get that, and you're on board, and that feels great. But others of you, if you're honest, sometimes singleness feels a lot more like a prison than a present. It feels a, a, a lot more like a prison than a present, and that tends to be because of a few myths that tend to get perpetuated around singleness. I'm just going to name a, a couple of them. The, the, first, the first myth around singleness that makes it feel more like a prison than a present is this. Number one, singleness equals loneliness. There's this myth that can be perpetuated that singleness equals loneliness, that single people are the loneliest people, that to be single means that you must be excluded from relationships with other people in your friend group or in relationships or or from in the scope of the church sometimes, from those who are uh, married, they're not going to treat you the same, overlooked and passed over. This myth says that singleness is loneliness. Maybe you felt that. Myth number two is this, that singleness means you're less than. Singleness equals less than. There could be this internalized shame that says, I'm single because there's something missing. I'm single because there's something wrong. I'm single because other people are seeing that thing that I'm seeing inside of myself, or they're seeing something that I'm not seeing, but clearly something's off. Because you see or experience deep deficiencies in your life, you're single, so you must be either in perception or in reality worth less than others who aren't. I um, don't like any of these for the record, uh, but I particularly hate this one. Um, I'm gonna return to each of these, but this one in specific just, just does need, need a caveat. Um, I hate this myth of singleness because of how much the like pattern of culture like plays on this to try to get you to do what it wants you to do. I've never seen so much predatory marketing aimed at convincing people subversively that they are less than, and in being less than, I'm gonna provide something for you that you need to buy or you need to experience, and then you'll be fully human. I hate that. It is wildly dehumanizing. It is wildly undignified. It is, it is incredibly manipulative. It is wildly predatory. This lie can get fed up by the cultural idea that you can be single so long as you get yours and hookup culture, that you're enough so long as you're having sex. And the idea that you need sexual gratification to be fully human is in itself dehumanizing. If it leads me to pornography, then I engage actively with the pipeline that down the line fuels human trafficking. If it leads me to hooking up, I engage with an idea that is closer to an archaic concept of Greek mythology that says I need someone else to be my other half to make me a full person. That is not a beautiful view of humanity. That is an incredibly depressing view of humanity. It looks at other people and says that they're people, they're, people are machines for me to use. They're utilitarian at, at, at best, mechanic at, at worst. It doesn't look at people as if they're dignified image bearers of God who, who deserve and, and, are, and, and were created for love and for community and for covenantal lifelong relationships marked by love and affection and protection. It is such a low view of people. I hate this lie. I've seen this myth pressure more people to make bad decisions than I care to rec- recount myself among them. Le- lonely, less than, and the last one, the singleness is too, just too hard. That just the sheer weight of loneliness and feeling less than fuels a conclusion that says singleness is just too hard. So we trade in our singleness and we rush into flings or situationships. We get in relationships with people who are walking red flags or stay in relationships longer than we have to because it's easier to try to maintain a relationship that's half or or, or, or over par um, because it's it's easier to do that than to go back to being single, which just feels so hard, much less perhaps even jumping into a marriage. I um. By the time I was 24, two of my friends who were also 24 uh, were divorced. They were divorced, um, and in their words, they articulated that they had immaturely rushed into marriage because they and their now ex-wives had found singleness to be too hard, so they codependently ran into marriage entirely unprepared for it. Like, I'm not saying that to be dramatic. I'm, not saying, I'm saying that to say these are two people that I went to college with, that I was in a college ministry with. Loneliness less than too hard, these myths around singleness, that I just want to pull over for a second and acknowledge that there's like real pain in that. If you felt those, if you feel that now. I want to just remind you just as a just to 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 draw your, your head up and take a deep breath for a moment, that Jesus Christ has given us, Christian, the Holy Spirit of God. John 14, 16. Molly was praying this before in our in our pre-service prayer, that, that, that he has given us a comforter, that if you are experiencing this pain, that the Spirit of God is present to be a comfort to you. The, these three myths of singleness are, are just difficult and debilitating. I'm empathetic because I had to navigate them uh, for many, many years. And when singleness is painted as Loneliness is less than, is too hard. It's very little surprise that it feels more like a prison than a present. But what we need is a new vision for singleness. One that breaks the chains of myths and the bars of prison cells because if singleness feels like a prison, then the chains and bars of that prison are built out of anxiety. And this is why 1 Corinthians 7, verses 32 through 35 are gloriously, graciously beautiful, uh, hopeful, strengthening, reframing, vision-shaping text for singleness. So I'm gonna ask two questions around this main idea. My devotion while single declares the greater gift of God. And the two questions are this. Uh, why is singleness a gift? and what is the greater gift? Two questions. Ask and answer. I'll take my seat. We'll sing. And then someone's going to get destroyed and dodgeball. All right. Why is singleness a gift? Look at the first part of verse 32. I love these words. I want you to be free from anxieties. Isn't that a... Cr- Isn't that a great verse in the, like, I want, me too, Paul, like, join the team. We got jackets, right? Like, I love, I love this verse. What Paul's going to say about singleness is fixated in this. He's saying this because he wants his hearers, then and us now, uh, then the Corinthians, sorry, and us now to be free from anxieties. This idea of free from anxieties has an interesting root in, in the Greek. Uh, and and the, the, it's, it's from the, the word that's for anxiety, which is merinano. Uh, the, the prefix of ah to that word, though, makes it mean not anxious or free from anxiety or, and in another term, the opposite of being anxious. James Strong um, wrote a concordance, the Strong's Concordance. It's incredible. And he says that another way that this verse can be translated is for Paul to be saying, I want you to be secure. That's what, that's what he's saying. He's saying, I want you to be secure. What Paul's about to lay out about singleness here is for the hearer to be secure in their singleness. And it's from there that he lays out the way that singleness is a gift. Continuing from verse 32, it's on the screen in your Bible. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord, but the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit, but the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint on you, but to promote good order and secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. Paul lays out his thesis, illustrates it, and then closes by saying that this is for the benefit of the hearer, not as a restraint, not to imprison you, but so that you can be secure in your singleness because the status of single gives you the gift of undivided devotion to the Lord. Paul's saying that this is the gift of singleness, that nothing else pulls your attention. The only thing that you're anxious for or interested in, above all other things, is to please the Lord, to be holy in body and spirit as you're undistracted in your devotion to Him. And that this degree of devotion has this tendency to free you from other anxieties, holding you secure in the hand of God Himself. Devotion is a really interesting word. It's a combination of two words. One of them is uh, to be near to, and the other is a good thing. So devotion means to be near to to a good thing. It's the practice of being near to a a good thing. And I think there's two areas in singleness where you can be uniquely undistracted in your devotion to the Lord. It's an undistracted devotion to the word and an undistracted devotion to the work of God. So first, the word. Um, When I was in school, My college director, Raul Agarwal, said these uh, true but terrifying words. He said, you will never have more control over your schedule than you do in college. Yikes. Some of y'all who are busy said amen, just real, real quiet. I I was dating a young woman. I was taking 18 credit hours. I had about a 25 hour a week job at Chick-fil-A. I had two internships and I was leading a youth ministry while he said those words to me. And I said, oh no, and yet i found them to be true. And at the same time, a mentor of mine, Paul, was trying to get this one thought into my thick, arrogant skull, where he was teaching me that there's nothing more important than to schedule an undistracted daily time with Jesus. So take those two things together. Complete executive control over my schedule like I'll never have ever before. Undistracted daily time with Jesus. These two concepts coming together in college started to shape the way that I was spending my, how I should spend my time. As I realized if I took a long, hard, disciplined look at my schedule, I could actually choose to have real portions of undistracted and devoted time to God in the word and in prayer. But if I'm honest with you, I wasn't doing that. I hadn't yet learned this crucial lesson of leading myself, I find that I'm often the hardest person for me to lead, if I'm being honest with you. Maybe you find that about yourself as well. But, but the lesson is this. It's that every yes is rooted in a no, and every no is rooted in a yes. That every time I said yes to something that took up time that I could have spent in the word and in prayer, I was saying no to the undistracted devotion that my status of being single afforded me. I was being anxious or interested in something else, something more, which pulled me away from growing secure as I missed out on devoting time through word and through prayer undevoted devotion to the word means locking down time where you're saying yes to Jesus and no to everything else for a period of time in your schedule now I don't think that that means that you become a hermit necessarily I don't think that means that you like play the excuse of like skipping class right like like you got other reasons to skip class and y'all do it anyways I know it but you made a commitment to class right if your parents are paying for it you need to honor them it doesn't mean bail on your friends at the last minute lock it this time down in advance and schedule your life around it, it doesn't mean forego hygiene like what's that smell well I've been spend an undivided time with the Lord and it's like you need to spend undivided time with some soap like that's but an undivided devotion afforded to you through singleness gives you the flexibility and freedom to lock down time where you're saying yes to Jesus and no to everything else for a period of time I am am ancient and turned 30 this summer um yeah yeah um so I spent some time looking back on my 20s and just got really sad um But there's one glaring regret that rose to the top as I was doing some time just examining back through the the last decade. Uh, I regretted all of the free time where I said no to Jesus and said yes to one thing that I think distracted me more than any other thing in that time, which was social media. (laughs) John Piper summed up my regret perfectly when he said, One of the great uses of Twitter and Instagram will be to prove that prayerlessness was not for lack of time. I look back and I think about the hours and hours of my singleness where I grew anxious by scrolling through the lives of other people and missed out on growing secure in my singleness by having an undivided devotion to the Lord and leveraging those times for that. I wasted portions of my singleness. I really don't want you guys to make the same mistake that I made. Like just imagine, like who would you be If your mind and your life were overflowing with word and with prayer as you had an undivided devotion to Jesus, like what would happen if you spent just a quarter of your uh, like discretionary free time that that you have to do whatever you want and you took a quarter of that time, one minute out of every four, and you said, I'm going to spend that time devoted to the word. Like just what would your life look like? I think about Romans 10, 17 that says faith comes by hearing and hearing comes by the by the word of God. What would your faith look like if more of your free time was devoted to undistracted uh, time w- w- with Jesus? I remember this hitting me square in the chest as a student. Um, so I started doing something called Xtwog, which is a terrible acronym. My acronyms have gotten much better. Um, X T W A G, extended time alone with God. Yes, extended was marked by an X. Okay, it was the early 2010s. Um, don't, I, I, some of my friends started making fun of me and they called it my date night with Jesus. Please don't do that. I, I just, it was just, yeah, it was, that was the right face night. That was it. Well, um, here's what it was I would just, take time in my room on an evening that I would typically devote to, like, Netflix or a movie or something else, and I took that time, and I had one question that I wanted to answer, one scripture that I wanted to meditate on and, and, and fixate on and stick in and stay in, and I would just stay in that room until I was done. Not like some, like, time frame that was fixed on it, nothing like that. I'm just like, I'm going to study this question and I'm going to sit with the scripture until I'm, until I'm done. Usually it was Tuesday nights after I did my homework from about seven to 11 at night. I didn't pick up a shift. I didn't schedule anything. I just said, this is going to be time that I uniquely right now can just devote to being with Jesus. Um, Molly, my wife, is in a book club that meets now on Tuesday nights, uh, right now. And there, when the weather was nice, I would go out and I would relive some of those moments. Or I would just sit on my back porch with a question on my laptop and my Bible open and just say, I'm going to dedicate this evening. I'm not going to work. I'm not going to try to fill something else in. I'm not going to schedule another thing here. I'm just going to spend a little bit of time alone with God, extra time alone with God. Something I established when I was single that's been a blessing for the rest of my life. My hope is that you'd be undistracted in your devotion to the word, but also that you would be to the work of God as well. Um, the word and the work. You are the most flexible and mobile you will ever be when you're single. You pick up and move from apartment to apartment based on just the people you wanna live with year to year in college anyways, right? Like, like you are flexible and mobile and this affords you so much freedom and flexibility to be devoted to the work of God based on your life stage and status. In 2017, Molly and I were dating that summer, and and, and over that summer of 2017, we didn't take long walks, and and, and we didn't have date nights. We had a 15-minute phone call every couple of weeks because we had the freedom and flexibility to go overseas for two months. Uh, I was in China, and then I was in Malaysia. She was in China for the entirety of the time. It was awesome, but again, we're in that unmarried category. It was something we were able to do then that would be very difficult to try to figure out how to do now. Right, like It was just something that our status gave us the freedom and flexibility to do that would be very difficult to do now. There's so many examples of this. The teams that we're going to send to Japan and India this summer from Salt, which I'm so excited about, are full of single and unmarried people that have the freedom and flexibility to leverage a summer overseas. At Salt Conference in February, you're going to be with 4,000 unmarried people who are able to dedicate a weekend to the word of God as we sing, as we pray, as we hear the taught and to the work of God as we put four church plants in front of the seniors that are graduating and ask them to consider going. So many of those seniors who are single are able to consider picking up and going on one of those plants. Uh, so the members, uh, so many of the members of the team that we just sent to Osaka, Japan to plant a church, single, Daphne, who's overseas right now in Mumbai, finishing her second year on the mission field, single. Out of the 12 disciples, as best we can tell, 11 of them were single with the exception of Peter, right? In the New Testament, a great number of those who helped plant churches and get in with Jesus on the work of building the church in Asia Minor and beyond, were single. In the Bible, so many stories focus on people who were single. Joseph, second in command of Egypt, saved the region from an, a, an intense famine, single, devoted to the word and the work. Nehemiah, uh, set apart to by God to rebuild the wall and rebuild Jerusalem after the people had been exiled. Uh, he was devoted to the word, devoted to the work, and he was single, Anna in the New Testament devoted her life to the word and worship in the temple it Was one of the first people to see Jesus' word work, single. Lydia, likely a widow, was compelled, com- she compelled Paul. This is wild, you read the Bible. She compelled Paul to not go on to the next city, but to come to her house and to plant the church in Philippi out of her home, devoted to the word and work, single. Lonely or less than these people, not a chance secure in their singleness as they were undistracted in their devotion to the word and to the work. What a picture for this room to undistracted devotion to the word and the work, freed from other anxieties, secure in singleness, to practice an undivided devotion to God through the word and the work, a deep joy and intimacy and relationship with Christ, a deep understanding of your purpose in Christ, deep joy and deep understanding coming together to fuel a security that the status of singleness is a gift to the Christian to use as a firm foundation. Because let's just say that you do date and you do get engaged and you do get married, which is a statistical probability for 90% of you. If Jesus isn't enough while you're single, what do you think is going to happen when you're married? You're going to do one of two things to that person you get married to. You're going to worship them and crush them, or you'll put the expectation on them to be God, which will crush you. You won't date for the purpose of discerning if someone's a partner to follow Jesus with for the rest of your life. You'll date because you're anxious and insecure in your singleness, and as a result, you'll either crush them or crush yourselves. But what if you were secure in your singleness? Like what could God do through your singleness? Devoted to the work without distraction, devoted to the word without distraction. Uh, Ruth Haley Barton says the greatest gift that you can give other people is your ever transforming self. Who would you be becoming if God used your singleness? To do this? Like and just as an aside, like. How dope, oh, I've been thinking about this all day. How dope would the person that pulled you out of your singleness into a relationship have to be if you were devoted to the word and the work in a way that was transforming and changing your life? Like how dope would that person have to be? I think sometimes we sell ourselves so short because of the myths of singleness that say lonely, less than, too hard. So we, 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 we run away. How you have any idea how devoted the person that you should be with is? Like someone devoted to the word, devoted to the work, that they deserve your consideration to date them. That's a high bar that's set because of how valuable you are. Like Jesus didn't just like play around and save you. He got on a cross and died so that you could be covered. You could be forgiven of your sin. He rose from the grave so that you could have new life with him. And now he says you're worth something. So treat yourself like it. Like you're so worthless. Like how dope would that person have to be for you to choose to date them? Man, like I've been thinking about that. I want that so bad. But the gift of being single for you. Sorry, I have that. But, um, the gift of being single, sorry, and secure is seen in the vision of a life that's marked by undistracted devotion to Jesus. The security this devotion develops crushes the myths of singleness, loneliness. No, I'm secure, not alone, because you have the spirit of God in you, by whom Jesus said he'd be with you always. The Father loves you, and he knows your name. Anytime you feel lonely, it's an invitation to intimacy with Jesus. You can have deep, intimate friendships with other men and other women in Christian community. You know you help each other out with this, right? Like, you may look like you're alone, but you've never walked alone because of the presence of Jesus with you. Less than Yo, singleness isn't your identity, so you can't can't be used to manipulate you into thinking that you're less than. Your identity is that you're a daughter of God, A son of God. Singleness may be your status and there may be moments when you forget who you are and yeah, there may be moments when it's tough and in those moments, you can come to Jesus and he'll remind you who you are. A part of the royal priesthood of God. A saint before God. A part of the holy nation of God to use the words from 1 Peter chapter two. Someone that Christ, the finished work on the cross has purchased for himself. A son or daughter in God in whom he is well pleased because of the finished work of Jesus. Less than, why? Because you're devoted no because you're flexible no because you're mobile no because you're secure no not identified by singleness but identified by a bloody cross in an empty tomb through which you can say with certainty I am Christ's he is my enough too hard my mentor Paul that I mentioned earlier used to say that marriage isn't for the weak and I always wanted to say back to him neither is singleness A vision for singleness marked by security, undistracted devotion, freedom, mobility, growth in the gift that singleness is while you have it. No, it's not easy. Not today, but with courage, defiance, and joy, you can follow that it's not easy with a but it's worth it. Too hard? No, I'm I'm Christ. He's given me the treasure of himself. So I'm too valuable to rush too valuable to squander this time, too valuable to settle. The greater your vision of singleness is, the greater value you're gonna put in it. So how about a new vision of singleness? A gift of undivided devotion and deep security in your singleness. It's a gift, but it's a gift that points to a greater gift. Question two, what's that greater gift? Uh, first, I'll tell you what it's not. The greater gift marriage points to isn't marriage. Sorry, um, like that's that's actually not what it points to. That is a good gift. It's not the the greater gift. Uh, anytime you hear someone tell you something and you can replace the words money with something else, you're dealing with the prosperity gospel. So if I tell you, hey, if you uh, date really well, you, if you're really good while you're single and you date really well, God's going to give you a really great marriage. Replace that with money, you have the prosperity gospel. Oftentimes, what can happen in contexts like this is you get a relational or marital prosperity gospel God hadn't promised you any of that he has promised you himself and he's given you a good path to move forward while you're securing your singleness undistracted in your devotion to the word and to the work and having a high bar for the person that you consider allowing to date you back on what's the greater gift the greater gift is God our devotion while single points to the greater gift of God himself here's the question that singleness answers. Is God enough? Like, do you enjoy his presence more than you enjoy anything or anyone else? Is your thirst quenched in Christ? Is your hunger met in Christ? Are you satisfied in him? Have you learned how to find your joy and fulfillment in Jesus? Is he enough? It's the question our singleness poses. Is God enough? A couple questions to help you discern and dive into this is he enough are, is he enough are you able to fully celebrate someone else being in a relationship or does you seeing them in a relationship create some sort of envy inside of you because you want really really you really really just want what they have or is God enough are you able to weep with those who weep when a friend is broken up with or is there a part of you that feels better about yourself now that they're also single Does how you feel about your singleness cause you to run to God or to sin for comfort? Is God enough? The gift of being single and secure enables you to gladly join in the chorus of that old hymn, Christ is enough for me. Our devotion while single points to the greater gift of God now and in eternity. Hold on with me for a second. We're going to go real quick to Matthew chapter 22. It will be up on the screen. There's a moment in Matthew 22 where some of the religious Jewish elite are trying to entrap Jesus. It's a wild scenario where they're like, there's this woman, and she marries this man, and then he dies, and then she marries another man, and then he dies, and she marries another man, and he dies. Who's she married to in eternity? Jesus, like trying to entrap him, right? It's the Sadducees, they don't believe in the resurrection, it's this whole thing. And this is what Jesus says in response to them <laughs> This is wild. <laughs> You are in error because you don't know the scriptures or the power of God. That's a sick burn, by the way. Like, that's Jesus on fire right there. Like, that is wild. Imagine, like, walking up to someone and someone asks you a question. You're like, you're in error because you don't know the scripture or the power of God. You should just try that out sometime. I'm kidding. Um, verse 30. At the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage. Now, that's interesting. At the resurrection, in eternity, people won't be married. Now, there's a much larger theological reason for this that dives into marriage being a picture of the gospel and the fullness of that relationship being participated in between Christ and the church that is his bride for all eternity. But for the moment, just hang out with me in this reality. No marriage in heaven. Why is that? And why does that matter? It matters because in eternity, hear this, Christians will be experiencing in eternity the never ending, never plateauing, ever increasing joy and ecstatic pleasure of a truly, purely undivided devotion to God. How much nearer to a good thing can you get than from being with God in heaven? What would distract you from that when you're in nothing? This is the purest picture of an undistracted devotion to God in heaven. If you need a vision for singleness, how about this? Singleness is an internship for eternity. Not one where you're earning it, but where you're experiencing in part, in peace, in that moment where you feel lonely, going back and saying, this loneliness is an invitation to intimacy with Jesus. And one day, one day, one day, I'm gonna know him face to face. Less than, less than, less than, less than, what? (laughs) Less than, less than, how, how less than, how much less than will it be when you're in the presence of Jesus face to face? You won't, less than won't even be in the vocabulary. Too hard? Yeah, not easy, but oh, how worth it, how worth it to be in that place. Undivided devotion with him face to face. What's foreshadowed in the security of being undivided in our devotion while single will be fully realized in heaven. An eternal experience of undivided devotion to God. Singleness is not a prison, it is a present where you can be free from the anxiety to escape and embrace the experience of being single and secure while you are undivided in your devotion to God. What could God do through your singleness? You're devoted to the word, devoted to the work. I pray you don't waste it. What can he do through you? you? Just take a moment to close your eyes and to bow your heads just for focus and concentration. If you're new, I won't ask you to do anything, you know, just to just to let you know. We're gonna take some time to respond. We talk about having a relationship with God and in that uh, relationships are marked by communication. He invites us and makes a way for us to pray. So we're gonna give you some room to do that right now. Before I do, can I just talk to you about one other person I forgot to mention was single while he was on earth. Jesus Christ. Let's tell you what God did through Jesus's singleness. Jesus in his singleness lived a perfect life that you and I could never live. Sinless, flawless, unmarked, perfectly good. And for us, God shows his love for us in this, that while you and I were still sinners, Christ gets up on a cross A crown of thorns is put on his head, a wound is put in his side, nails are put in his hands. He suffocates on his own blood as he is physically experiencing pain, but he's also spiritually separated by the Father as our sin is taken from us and put onto him. That on the cross, Jesus gives his right standing before God to us who put our trust in him and takes our sin from us and he dies. Friday dead, Saturday morning dead, Saturday night dead but Sunday morning, on that third day, the stone rolls and Jesus folds his laundry, leaves it in the tomb and walks out victoriously risen. The tomb is empty and he walks out alive so that we who put our trust in Jesus might know that we are dead to sin because of what he did on the cross and alive to God through Christ because he walks out of that grave. This is the invitation of the gospel to you today. Do you know it and need to remember it again and rejoice in it, or whether you've never heard it before and the invitation to you is to put your trust in Jesus. If you're here and you're not a Christian, my invitation to you is to become devoted, come near, to the good thing that is Jesus Christ. This good thing for you is the good news of the gospel. The good news that God loves sinners enough to send his son to do what was necessary for you to be forgiven of your sin and put your trust in Jesus. And you can do that tonight. If you're here and you're a Christian, you already have that hope. I wonder what you need to ask God for help for in your singleness. What could God do through your singleness? Maybe there's something, if you just sit here and for a moment, you just need to say, God, how do you want me to be undistracted in my devotion to you? And just see what comes to mind. Perhaps God would answer that prayer. You need to ask him for help maybe in not being anxious and being secure in your singleness. Ask him for that help. So however you need to respond, take a moment and do it now. And then we'll pray and we'll sing. Take a moment to just pray. that you'd bring healing where there's pain where there's pain around loneliness or feeling less than or feeling like it's too hard god that you would comfort spirit comfort right now please father where there is those who don't know you jesus is lord and savior um, i pray that they would come to you god i pray that you would inspire a vision for life God, what could happen, what could be um, as the men and women in this room pick up an undivided devotion to you? God, what could you do in these men and women with an undivided devotion to your word? What could you do through them with an undivided devotion to your work? God, I pray that you'd build a vision there. God, we thank you for your presence. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your nearness. We thank you for Jesus. So God, as we sing even now, let it just be an overflow of our devotion to you. God, whether we come in here feeling really, really close to you or really, really far, would this moment, Mark, us mastering the restart and just stopping and saying in this moment right now, we'll be devoted, we'll worship you, we'll sing. And God, would you meet us here? God, would you teach us to more fully enjoy your presence so that we might say that you're enough? It's in your name that we pray. Amen.